You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Mark chapter 5, aren't you glad for the Word of God this evening? Uh, It is a a road map for our life just before the death of actor W.C. Fields. A friend visited his hospital and was uh, surprised to see him thumbing through his Bible and asked, what, uh, what are you doing looking at the Bible? And he said, well, I'm looking for loopholes. Uh, there's no loopholes in the Bible. We just take it as it is, and so that's what we want to do tonight. Uh, believe it, read it, accept it, and uh, so I'm just grateful to be here with you. I appreciate your pastor. I've gotten to know him uh, in the last few months and, and uh, met him about a year ago and just excited about him being here. Uh, so I also was grateful for uh, Brother Spencer and his uh, help and encouragement to me. I was a little, just a little bitter about his escaping to a warmer climate. Maybe that'll happen one day for myself too, but uh, we'll just let that go and forgive him for it. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> if you have a pastor who loves the Word of God and loves people, you're, you're blessed. Amen. And so what a good thing that is. God has blessed me with a good ministry in, in Brookings. We've, uh, as was just mentioned, been there for five years this last October. Uh, in that time, married off two of my six daughters, and so we, uh, that's been a blessing. Uh, we have our, our third daughter here with us tonight. She'll be heading back to Heartland tomorrow. Lydia, pray for her. Uh, she brought home a, grease ball, a young man to, uh, for us to meet uh, this weekend, and so uh, uh, that was a blessing uh, to see that and her going forward following the Lord's will there. My wife and I have eight children. Uh, and uh, we childproofed our home about after four children, and they still kept coming. So it's, uh, that's just how it is. Somebody asked me one time, how is it, what's it like to have eight children? Well, imagine that you, are, you can't swim, and you fall into a deep river, and you're floundering, and they say you go down three times before you actually drown. Well, you just come up the third time. You're gasping for breath, and you see somebody approach on the bank, You scream for help, and they hand you a child. That's what it's like having eight children. But uh, praise the Lord, he's been good to us and blessed us. Uh, We have four teenagers at home. Isn't that something? Pray for us there. Legend has it that the apostle Peter was passing by one day, and he came to a blind man, and he healed him. Uh, Later, he saw a demon-possessed man, and he set him free. And then he came to a man that was sitting down, crying, and he asked him, what's What's wrong with you? What's uh, going on with you? And he said, well, I'm the father of a teenager. And uh, all Peter could do was just sit and weep with him. And so uh, I love teenagers. I was a youth pastor for 18 years, so I just uh, like to kid him a little bit. Mark chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse number 25. Hope it'll be a challenge to you tonight. Grateful again uh, to uh, have have, uh, be here with you. A certain woman, the Bible says, which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had was nothing bettered but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment, for she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? I want to preach tonight for a few minutes on embracing 
expectation, embracing expectation. Father, we pray in these few minutes that we have together as we unpack this parable and look at the words that you've given us, we certainly are grateful for the word of God, and we pray that we might do it justice this evening. May we uh, see something we can apply to our life that will help us to be better servants of you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Everything you do, you do with expectation. When you go to sleep at night, you do so expecting that your alarm will go off in the morning. When you put your key in your car and turn it, you expect the engine to turn over and for it to start. When you get up in the morning, you expect the sun to rise. Uh, When you go to your job and you work for uh, five days or six days a week, you expect to get paid at the end of the week. When you go to the doctor, you expect good things. Imagine if you go in for heart surgery and you ask the doctor, Doc, how is this going to work? And he says, oh, we're not sure it will. There's a 50-50 chance, but lay down on the table and we'll see how this turns out. I would like to have a doctor that expects good things, wouldn't you? I'd like to have somebody that has at least hopes to, expects the surgery to work. You ever went skydiving? I've never went skydiving, but I know uh, the last question I would have just as the wind whistles and I'm on the edge of the airplane, I'm just about to be pushed off because that's the only way I'd be going down is if I was pushed off. And so just before I was pushed off, I would probably scream, is this thing going to open? I don't want the answer to be, we hope so. You know, 75% of them do. Uh, We hope uh, for the best. We do this with expectation. Point that I'm trying to make this evening is everything we do, really, we do with a measure of expectation. We expect a result for what we do. In our text here, Jesus has this this healing experience here, this woman that he's dealing with. Uh, He has just, in, in setting the scene for our story, had just raised the price of ham and bacon there in the Gadarenes uh, when he had thrown all the demons into the hogs. They had went into the river. It's the first time in the Bible that you see deviled ham mentioned. And uh, Jesus was asked to leave uh, that area. Uh, It's interesting to me that they were more afraid about the power that Jesus Christ had than they were from this demonic man. And the Bible says they'd already been afraid of him, but they were more afraid of Jesus and asked him to leave their area. Incidentally, when Jesus is asked to leave, he always does so. We can ask him to leave, but we cannot choose the consequences of his leaving. I'd like for you to just consider one example of this uh, out of our public school system. We threw him out of our schools in 1962. And have you ever considered the effects of removing prayer and the Bible uh, as a standard for our morality for our children as they go to school? The philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation becomes the philosophy of the government in the next. And have we not seen that come to pass uh, in the past few generations? Every social indicator uh, went down once uh, the schools removed prayer and the Bible uh, as their standard. Since prayer and Bible were removed, criminal arrest of teens has went up 150%, according to the U.S. Bureau of Census. Teen suicides went up 45%. Uh, Illegal drug activity went up 6,000%. We don't have... Uh, disobedience anymore. We have a disorder now. We don't have sin anymore. We have a syndrome. We can ask Jesus to leave, but we cannot choose the consequences of his leaving. It's interesting that uh, to me that after he'd done that great miracle, they asked him to leave. Now, as we move through the events of this chapter, we discover that Jesus is adequate for every situation. In every circumstance that's mentioned, Jesus was more than enough. To the man that was demonized, Jesus became the great psychiatrist. 
to the woman who was diseased, Jesus was the great physician, uh, to the girl who was dead that we see at the end of the chapter, Jesus was the great pediatrician. I'm simply saying tonight, Jesus is enough for whatever problem ails us in our life. Now, in between the parentheses of two big miracles, the, uh, the healing of the demonic man and the raising of the dead girl, you have the miracle that we read about tonight. So what we really have here tonight is a miracle within a miracle. Jesus is teaching one day in one of the villages by the Sea of Galilee. A man named Jairus uh, comes and begs Jesus to come to his house and to heal his 12-year-old daughter. Uh, she was very bad sick, and so Jesus began to walk with him, going to his house. And on the way to Jairus' house, we see the passage that we just read this evening. The scene must have been very chaotic. It was very confusing. Jairus is on one side of Jesus, tugging his sleeve, trying to hurry him along uh, because his uh, daughter was right on the verge of death. The disciples, like bodyguards, were probably uh, forming kind of a moving wave as Jesus moved along. Hundreds of people, eager, pushing, shouting, stretching their arms out to touch him as he passes. Meanwhile, a uh, totally unnoticed, frail, stooped, sickly woman is pushing her way through the throng. Her face is partially covered, so no one will recognize her. And she's only a few feet away as he's passing right by her. No one notices her as she reaches out to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. I'd like to look at first who this woman was uh, by looking at the horror that she endured. The Bible says she had an issue of blood for 12 years. This was some type of hemorrhaging. Uh, of blood in her body. The word issue means a flowing of blood, the original word. Whatever must have caused this here, uh, it was some kind of internal hemorrhaging. She was a very sick woman. It was a constant flow of blood, and such a flow of blood would have caused this woman untold suffering over the years. Uh, she would have been pale, would have had no energy. She would have been weak and anemic. Uh, she would have, she, the Bible says, tried all the remedies of all the physicians of her day. In Mark, we see something that Luke actually omits here. In Mark 5, 26, it says of her that she had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had. This is the first time you see Obamacare in the Bible. It's interesting that Luke left that detail out, though. Luke was a physician. It's, maybe Luke was uh, practicing a little bit of professional courtesy, wasn't uh, putting doctors down, but the Bible says she actually suffered many things of physicians. Now, it is not to imply that all the doctors were quacks in that time, but they simply did not have the cure for what she had. They couldn't do anything about the problem that she had. She suffered religiously. The physical suffering was only a part of it. Uh, Levitical law made it clear that a woman such as her that was bleeding was considered unclean as long as the flow of blood continued. Uh, and we know that it continued for 12 years. Anyone who touched her would be defiled. The law demanded that such a woman would be segregated from the rest of society. She suffered socially. For 12 years, she had been excommunicated from the temple and the synagogue. More than likely, she had been divorced from her husband, shut out from her family, banished by society. She had endured illness, uh, social isolation, constant pain, financial poverty, personal humiliation. Let me tell you, she was suffering in many different ways. She had suffered emotionally. The Bible says she'd been this way for 12 years. 
considering the average lifespan in those times, it's very likely that she has been this way since she was a late teenager or a teenager even. She's lived her life moving from one rejection to another. She is lonely, she's isolated, and she's desperate. And then she had suffered financially. The Bible says she spent all that she had. She has been left penniless and destitute. Life looked really bad for this woman. It's interesting that often our life, I like to liken it almost to a, like a slingshot. You ever sl- shot a slingshot maybe as a child? Uh, the further that you go back, the further you can go forward. And sometimes all kinds of things happen in our life to draw, pull us back, pull us back, pull us back. But Jesus enters the pictures. We can go somewhere for the Lord Jesus Christ. As this woman uh, sees, she's about to have her life change. Not only the horror that she endured, but the hope that she embraced. Jesus had come to her village. With that, the woman makes a decision. Somehow, some way, she must get to Jesus, not to speak to him. Oh, she was probably embarrassed, plus she's not supposed to be around people. And so she was going to do this a little bit on the sly, uh, ashamed of her condition. But if only she could touch him. Now, verse 27, we see that she reaches out with a shaking and probably weak hand and touches Jesus' clothes. Jesus is going the other direction. Jairus is tugging at him, encouraging him to hurry and to come and to deal with the situation with his daughters. It's always frustrating when we're in a hurry and God is not, isn't it? That's where sometimes we can get discouraged. Meanwhile, the crowd is tightly packed. No one sees this woman. No one notices her. No one pays any attention to her as she reaches out her hand. No one feels the moment that she brushes Jesus' clothing. But something moves from her fingers through her hand, through her arm, into her entire body. And there we see the healing that she experienced. I like the word straightway. This means immediately. Uh, Luke chapter 844, the Bible says immediately her issue of blood was stanched. It was a miracle in less time than it takes to tell it. Shrunken arteries, tired veins, withered muscles, shattered nerves. They filled with life again. They uh, took on new strength. She is well, she is healthy, and she is whole again. And it all happened immediately. Kind of like salvation, isn't it? We come to Jesus Christ broken. We come to him defeated. And immediately he can change our life for us. She turns away. I don't believe she's ungrateful, but she's probably fearful lest she call attention to herself with a huge, you can imagine, smile on her face and a thrill in her heart. She turns around to go home. But at that moment, Jesus stops. He turns around. He surveys the crowd. The Bible says that he knows that virtue has gone out of him. That word virtue, the original word, is dunamis. Uh, it's often translated power. We get our words dynamite and dynamic from it. it. It's talking about a super powerful word. Jesus knows what has happened, and he asks the question, who touched my clothes? Now, that's the core of my message this evening. You see, it was an absurd question. In fact, Peter told him it was an absurd question. In Luke chapter 8, verse 45, (coughs) Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee, and sayest thou who touched me? 
Now, you get the picture here. The word press, uh, the original word for when he said the multitude press thee the, uh, is to, is to uh, uh, hold together or to pre- the pressing out of grapes and of olives. The word throng is the one that means to hold together. Uh, it has the idea, and this is the actual Hebrew definition or the Greek definition given, a cattle squeeze pushing in on each side, forcing the beast into a position where it cannot move so the farmer can administer medication. That gives us a picture, doesn't it? I mean, he is tightly squeezed. He is thronged. There are people everywhere. Hundreds of people are milling around, and he wants to know who touched him. Peter said, Jesus, in all, with all due respect, that's a ridiculous question. Who touched you? What do you mean, who touched you? There's people everywhere. Besides, what's the difference? All these people touching you, a touch is a touch, right? Wrong. A touch is not a touch. In the Gospels, in fact, we see different kinds of touches. There's the touch of hostility. That's the touch the religious leaders had for Jesus and the soldiers as they uh, crucified him and whipped him. There's a touch of curiosity. That's the touch of all the people that were milling around Jesus that day. Then there's the touch of faith, the touch of expectation. The disciples couldn't tell the difference. That doesn't matter because Jesus could. Lots of people were bumping Jesus, but one shaky, weak hand reached out with expectation, with faith. In life, we often get what we expect. Recently, I did some reading and studying on the placebo effect. The placebo effect is a fascinating phenomenon. In fact, the more I read about it, the more interested I got in it. Basically, the body reacts to fake stimulus for no other reason than you think it's going to help you. There's no real scientific explanation. Sean Archer is a writer for Harvard, and he says this, and I quote, researchers blindfolded a group of people and told them that their right arms were being rubbed with a poison ivy plant. Consequently, all the people's arms reacted with itching, boils, and redness. This is understandable, except the plant that was used was a harmless shrub, and I end quote. The anticipation of a reaction was enough for a rash to break out. Your perception of your own health can make a difference. Did you know that? Research has shown that people who think their health is good live, long, live up to 10 years longer than people who think their health is bad, even though they might be in the exact same physical health. That fascinates me. But in the medical field, they've done all kinds of experiments. That's what they do when you come to them, by the way. They do experiments on you. That's why doctors are called a practice. They're practicing on you. They found that they give placebos, fake pills out. They found that white, plain uh, placebos are not as effective as little blue placebos. Remember, understand, there's nothing in them. But blue ones are more effective than white ones. It's better if you can put it in a capsule. Then they're even more effective. If you really want to make a difference, you put the placebo in a needle and it helps even more. So the thing with no therapeutic value, one thing with no therapeutic value works better than something else with no therapeutic value. You get in the picture? A placebo. So what is in a placebo? Dr. Joseph Hansen has the answer. This is what he said. The active ingredient in a placebo is expectation. We get what we expect. Now, this can apply spiritually. A lot of people today are still bumping Jesus. They're interested. 
They're around. Uh, there's a touch of curiosity. And that's good, by the way. I'm glad people are interested. Listen, folks come to our church all, just like they do here, I'm sure. All kinds of different people come to church. They might not be serious about God, but I'm glad they care enough to come to church. Amen. And so uh, there's a, th- that's good, and I'm glad for the whole crowd that was there, but there is a vast difference between bumping someone with curiosity and reaching out to touch them with faith and expectation. Realizing that, hey, if I just can get to Jesus, if I can just touch him, he's going to do something in my life. Expectation. Oh, listen, we come to church, we're pretty faithful reading our Bible, we even pray. But we don't expect much many times in our Christian life. We just live our life the way we're supposed to. And how much do we really expect God to do? When's the last time, friend, that God's really done a great miracle in your life? Oh, you may have been bumping Jesus. Maybe you're bumping Jesus now. You're around. You're being faithful, doing what you're supposed to be doing. And hey, you're there, aren't you? But it's been a long time since we've come down and really got a hold of the horns of the altar and begged God to do something and have the expectation that he'll do it for us expectation. This lady risked everything. She risked everything, but she did it expecting that God was going to do something. I'm so grateful that Jesus was not and is not ashamed to be touched by the untouchable. Not ashamed. He's actually delighted. He was glad to identify himself with her. He was pleased that she had the courage to reach out. He was glad that he could heal her. That He wanted the whole crowd to know what he had done. And he wanted to demonstrate her faith that she had for him. With our Lord, there are no untouchable people. There are just people with needs. We all have different needs. I think that still today, God is looking for some people. His people and And, uh, of course, folks in need of salvation, looking and ready to reach out in faith, expecting something. I really believe people who do great things for God are people who have great expectations for God. William Carey said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. If we attempt and expect great things, I have an idea that God might just work in our lives as he did with this poor woman. It's high time that we as God's people reach out to him with expectation. It'll transform the way you pray if you pray with expectation. How can we desire God answer our prayers? How can we continually pray and never really believe that he's going to answer the prayer that we have? Yes, we ought to pray, but we ought to have faith that God will do what we're praying for. Have you ever prayed for something and then just been completely shocked when it's answered? We pray, but we don't really expect, wow, God answered my prayer. Hey, we ought to expect God to answer our prayers. We ought to approach it with expectation. I really believe that if we pray with, in faith and in expectation that God will and can answer our prayers, that we have a higher probability it'll be answered. It'll transform the way you pray. It'll also transform the way you witness. Oh, I hope that you're somehow involved in witnessing whether or not you come out door knocking or whether you uh, just carry a gospel tract and hand out tracts where you are, but everybody ought to be doing something to get the word of God in the hands of other people. We ought to always have a gospel tract on us. I'm a big believer in gospel tract. I think everybody ought to be an attractive Christian. Amen? Be an, an attract, get it? That's a brilliant play on words that I got from somebody else. Uh, no, but you hold in your hands when you have a gospel tract, you hold in your hands the power to transform someone's life. 
because of what God can do for him. And yet we hand out a gospel tract so often apologetically. <laughs> you know, if you got time or nothing else to do later. Or, I mean, if there's nothing going on in your life worth anything, maybe sit down and read this sometime. No, we ought to approach it with a little bit of expectation. Amen. Hey, this, this, what's in this piece of paper changed my life. It can change yours too. Hand out. It'll change the way we witness if we do it with some expectation. You hold in your lap a word of God. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. You know what those gospel tracts have on them? They have verses. You know what those verses have? They have an accompanying promise. They're not going to return void. Hey, what you say, I know you're smart, but what you say doesn't come with this promise. But what God says will give a gospel track, hand out uh, the gospel and expect it to make an impact. It'll transform the way you witness, the way you pray. It'll transform the way you fellowship with one another. It is tragic today how many of us serve and we obey and we do it without expectation. We just go in our normal routines and we get into a rut sometimes. All a rut is is a grave with both ends kicked out. Don't get caught in a rut. Don't get caught in a routine. Hey, do, do what you do for God, expecting something. God, give us some people who, like the, like the uh, centurion said to Christ, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Amen. When you believe something good can happen, hey, often it will. Uh, God can use your faith. And uh, you read Hebrews chapter 11. We're going through Hebrews chapter 11 right now in our, in our uh, Sunday morning service. Actually, we just concluded this morning with the different... Uh, heroes of Hebrews chapter 11, how God used undeserving people, how God used people you'd never expect God to use this morning. We talked about Rahab, I mean Rahab the harlot, and she's found in Hebrews chapter 11 as a hero of the faith, right in there in the hall of faith, and God used her in a great and mighty way. Why? Because she had faith. She had faith and uh, believed and obeyed God. When you believe something good will happen, and you do it with expectation, God can do great things. Align yourself with God's will. Pray with expectation, and you see if God won't do something in your life. Hey, this woman, uh, again, I say she risked everything. We know that she was uh, banned from society. She wasn't supposed to be there at all, but she made her way. She reached out amongst all the throng of people. Nobody else we have a record of. Nobody else was healed, but she was. Why? She reached out in faith. She reached out in expectation. God will do something in your life if you have some expectation. James chapter 4 tells us, you have not because you ask not. You know why many of us ask not? Yeah, it's not going to happen anyway. And so we don't ask. Hey, expect it to happen and then ask. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. Hey, listen, do you think God wants to save your neighbor? Then ask him. Amen. You think God wants your marriage to be successful? Then ask him. Ask him and expect that it'll happen. God wants your children to turn out right. Ask him and expect it to happen. God wants to meet your wildest expectations, but you need to begin with some expectations, amen. We need to really have some faith in God. Set your goals high. When you expect things to happen, it's amazing how often they do happen. Expectation energizes your goals. It gives them momentum. It all comes down to what's called faith in the Bible. God will do something in your life. We've got to have faith. We've got to believe him and then expect him to do it. You come to God believing that he could make it happen. 
Your life responds to your outlook. You say, I can't do anything great for God. I don't have any talents. I don't have any resources. What you can do is you can probably pick up a neighborhood kid and bring him to church. You can probably invite that person you buy gas from, invite him to church. You can ha- hey, there's a lot of things you can do for God, amen? If we, just, uh, if we just determine that we're going to get involved and when we step out for God and we expect that he's going to do something with our efforts, amen? Don't be surprised if you'll see God do a great work. Expectation, my friend, is an action word. It's not a sit back and wait. It's an action word. We serve God believing that something will happen. Psalm 62, 5, the Bible says, My soul, wait thou only upon the Lord, for my expectation is from him. I'm simply saying tonight, friend, serve God and do it with some expectation. God can change the rotten situation you're in. God can change. Just because you were one thing yesterday doesn't mean you have to be that tomorrow. God can change Uh, your situation. God can change you, but it takes coming to God, praying to him, and then having some expectation, acting on it, having the faith that he'll do that work in your life. This poor woman, I don't know what was going through her mind. It was probably her last ditch effort before she just gave up and, and, uh, you know, laid down and died. She had no hope left. She had no money left. She had no options left, but she made her way to Jesus. She risked a lot to get there, she reached out with the hands of faith. I find it interesting that <coughs> only one touch that day caused Jesus to stop, turn around, and realize that a bunch of power had just left him because somebody had the faith and expectation. If you're defeated before you start, how in the wide world are you going to have victory? Don't think defeated. Think victorious. Think overcomer. That's what God would have for us. We have so many people in our churches, they're they're bumping Jesus, but they're not touching him with expectation. They're around, and that's that's good. It's a good thing that they're there. And I hope that uh, you're not one of them that are just there. I hope you're one of them that are ready to reach out and touch him, expecting him to do a great thing in your life. We need commitment. We need people committed to the cause of Christ. The kamikaze pilot who flew 25 missions was involved, but he wasn't committed. We need committed Christians. God, give us some people who are committed to seeing him do something through our meager efforts. There's an added blessing. God will give you often more than you expect if you have faith. Before they go on here, I love this (coughs) when he comes to verse 34. Let's look at verse 33. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him, and told him all the truth, she confessed. She, can you imagine that? She's sorry for what she did. <laughs> she confessed everything she did. I'm sorry, Lord, I had faith in you. No, Jesus was thrilled, and he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. He calls her daughter, signifies they're in a different relationship now. All her adult life, she had been an outcast. She'd been a nobody. She'd lived in isolation. She'd lived in loneliness. But now Jesus himself calls her daughter. There's a different relationship there. All her life, uh, she'd been nobody, but now her faith 
has brought her into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. She got a whole lot more than she bargained for that day, friend. She wanted to be healed in her body. She wanted her, her, her strength back. She wanted to be able to stand up straight. She wanted to be able to mingle with society and be accepted again. She got all that, but she got a whole lot more than that. Her inside was cleaned as well. Her soul was saved as well. Jesus Christ looked at her and called her daughter. She said, he said, thy faith hath made thee whole. By the way, that drives home the point that it was not the hem of Jesus' garment that healed her. It was her faith in him that healed her. Thy faith hath made thee whole. It came from the very hand of God. Of all the people milling around Jesus that day, only one touched him with the hands of expectation, the hands of faith. Are you here tonight? Maybe somebody here tonight is not saved. Now, you know... There are some people in the Bible, the Bible says they expect too much. The wicked should never expect to hold on to their ill-gotten gains. Proverbs eleven seven: when a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish. And, that, uh, and the hope of unjust men shall perish. One who dies without Christ as their Savior should not expect heaven. Although many people do exactly that. They live good lives and they uh, try to do the right thing and they maybe join a religion of some time or a kind or they get baptized as a baby and they think they're covered and they expect to get to heaven. But one, anyone who dies without Christ should not expect heaven. Oh, but preacher, you say, you don't understand. I live a really good life. And the truth is most of us think we're fairly good. I really never talk to... Many people that think they're all that bad. They always compare themselves to somebody else. We all really think pretty highly of ourselves. But it's like we're a bunch of warthogs standing around talking about who's the best looking. You ever seen a warthog? You imagine about get about five or six warthogs standing in a circle talking about which one of them is best looking? I mean, you want to walk them and say, hang on, guys. All of you are, are ugly as sin. You're all ugly. None of you are good looking. No matter how good we think we are compared to others, God walks up to the circle and says, you guys are all sinners. There are none righteous. There's none right. No, not one. There's none that seeketh after God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible records a group of people in the last day. They lived a religious life and they expected to be ushered into heaven. Oh, this is such a sad verse. Matthew 7 22, many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The Bible is clear in, in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Salvation is a gift to the guilty, not a reward to the righteous. We need to remember that. But oh, what a terrible thought that someone might expect to go to heaven and stand before God to ruined expectations. The good news is that you don't have to uh, do that, dear friend. But Christian tonight, I'd just like to drive this point home uh, of the idea of the difference between bumping into Jesus, being in his presence, being close to him, and actually having the faith to reach out and touch him, expecting he's going to do something when you do. There's a whole lot of difference as we saw tonight. Maybe you're here and you're saved, but your life is anything but whole. You're desperate. You're desperate to reach out and touch Jesus, and I tell you, tonight you can. You can reach out and touch him, 
and get your life changed, and you can, we need to do so with the expectation he'll do it. I want to invite you to do exactly that this evening. What a, in that crowd that day, dozens of people were there with needs. And, and I have to, every time, I, every time we have a church on Sunday morning, I always look out, almost always we have some new people and di- different visitors coming in. And, and I don't know, even the ones that I know pretty well, we really don't know what's inside, Brother Heath. You know, we don't know what, uh, what deep buried uh, heartaches and pains that are there. And there's no doubt whenever we meet together in a local church, there's no doubt that the building is full of needs. That's just the way it is because we're all people. We're all imperfect. Most of us are imperfect anyway. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we all have those types of needs. And it's interesting here, there was a whole crowd of people that day, dozens of people with needs, but only one got help. And I wonder how often that's the case in even our local churches. Many, many people with needs, but only a few really getting help. Why is that? Expectation. Coming to Lord Jesus Christ, maybe it's to an altar. Maybe it's at our home altar in our prayer closet. Getting a hold of God and saying, Lord, I've tried everything on my own. I've tried all the doctors. I've uh, I've tried all the remedies. I've tried everything, she says. I got nothing left. And then she has this, they didn't have light bulbs yet, so a candle went on above her head. Said, I bet if I get to Jesus, if I can just, says so in the Bible, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Oh, it's a big difference, friends, when we come to Christ. Really having the faith that he can make a difference in our life. One of the reasons I believe she got help is because she saw him as her only source of it. Everybody else had failed her. There was no help anywhere else. I saw a bumper sticker one day, when all else fails, pray. Hey, before all else fails, pray. Amen? Pray first. All else will fail. She believed he could help her. She did whatever she had to do to touch him. Maybe that is you this evening. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.